This morning, this reading comes from Matthew 21, verses 33 through 46. The reading will be shared in a different language, but you can follow along in English on page 24 of the New Testament or on the screen here in the sanctuary. You're welcome to use your phones as well. So Matthew 21, 33 through 46. Hör jetzt ein Wort von Gott, ja? Hear now a word from God. Ich erzähle euch noch ein Gleichnis. Ein Grundbesitzer legte einen Weinberg an. Er baute eine Mauer darum, hob eine Grube aus Kälte aus und errichtete einen Wachturm. Dann verpachtete er ihn und ging auf Riesen. Als die Zeit der Weinlese kam, schickte der Besitzer seine Knechte zu den Päckten. Sie sollten seinen Anteil an der Ernte abholen. Aber die Päckte packten die Knechte, denn einen verpergüten sie, den anderen töteten sie und den dritten steinigten sie. Daraufhin schickte der Besitzer noch einmal Knechte, mehr als beim ersten Mal. Aber die Päckte machten mit ihnen genau das Gleiche. Schließlich schickte er seinen Sohn zu ihnen, denn er sagte sich, vor meinen Sohn werden sie Achtung haben. Doch als die Päckte den Sohn kommen sehen, sagten sie zueinander, er ist die Erbe, kommt, wir töten ihn, dann gehört sein Erbe uns. Sie packten ihn, warfen ihn hinaus vor den Weinberg und töteten ihn. Wenn nun der Weinbergbesitzer kommt, was wird er mit diesen Pächten machen? Sie antworteten Jesus, Jesus, er wird diese Verbrecher töten und den Weinberg anderen Pächten geben. Die werden ihm zur Zeit der Weinleser seinen Anteil an der Ernte abliefern. Weiter sagte Jesus zu ihnen, Ihr kennt doch die Stelle in der Heiligen Schrift. Der Stein, den die Bauleute verworfen haben, ist zum Grundstein geworden. Der Herr hat ihn dazu gemacht. Es ist ein Wunder in unseren Augen. Deshalb sage ich euch, Gott wird euch das Reich Gottes wegnehmen. Er wird es einem Volk geben, das Früchte herverbringt die dem Reich Gottes ansprechen. Wer auf diesen Stein fällt, wird zerschmettert. Und auch wenn dieser Stein fällt, wird zerdrückt. Die führenden Priester und die Pharisäer hörten sich die beiden Gleichnisse an. Sie verstanden, dass Jesus von ihnen sprach. Deshalb hätten sie ihn am liebsten verhaften lassen. Aber sie fürchteten sich vor dem Volksmenge, denn die Menschen hielten Jesus für einen Propheten. This is the word of God for the people of God. Danke von Gott. Back when I practiced law, I once represented a man who was an absentee landlord. Now, if you've ever owned rental property, you know that it's not always easy to manage tenants. 
Sometimes they pay the rent late, and sometimes they don't pay it at all. Sometimes they don't take care of the property, and sometimes they actually abuse it. And sometimes they don't pay the rent and they abuse the property, and that's what happened to the gentleman that I represented. He rented out his home to a family who moved in and almost immediately stopped paying rent. They also let the yard go to seed and did damage to the house by giving the run of it to three enormous dogs. After trying again and again to get them to clean up the house and to pay the rent to no avail, he then asked them to move out, and they ignored him. He was living in another city at that point, but in desperation, he traveled to Dallas and did everything but camp out on the front porch of the house for the weekend, trying to talk to them, but they avoided him the whole time they hid from him. After that, we sent numerous letters threatening legal action, which they also ignored. And finally, friends, this poor man had to get the constable to go to the house and force the tenants out of his home. And even then, they moved a lot of their personal property onto the front lawn and they left it there for days. It was a mess. This entire episode cost the landlord thousands upon thousands of dollars. And when it was over, he looked at me and said, I am out of the rental business. This is for the birds. Well, you couldn't blame him. The behavior of those tenants was egregious. It was enough to make you shake your head and say, what's wrong with people? But their behavior was nothing compared to the behavior of the tenants in our text this morning from the Gospel of Matthew. An absentee landlord sends a group of his servants to collect the rent from tenants who were supposed to be taking care of his vineyard. But when the servants get there, the tenants seize them, beat them, stone them, and even kill one of them. At that point, you would think it was time to call the authorities. But instead, the landlord sent a second group of servants, larger this time, to collect the rent, and the same thing happens. The tenants seize the servants and beat them and rob them and kill some of them. Now, I don't know about you, but at that point, I would be saying, this is for the birds, and I'd want to cut my losses. But not this particular landlord. Apparently, this landlord cares so much about this vineyard, he decides to send his own son to collect the rent. They will respect my son, he says. But when the tenants see the sun coming, they say, look, it's the heir. Quick, let's kill him and take his inheritance. And that's exactly what they do. Now, friends, this is pure evil, the absolute worst. And when Jesus pauses the parable here to turn to his listening audience and say, now, what do you think that vineyard owner should do to those tenants? I think the people there answered the way many of us would. Well, he should send those miserable wretches to their death and lease the vineyard to a new group of tenants who will pay him the produce when harvest time comes. And that's when Jesus drops the hammer. Have you not read the scriptures? 
The stone that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. It is marvelous in our eyes. Did I mention to you, friends, that his listening audience was the chief priests and the Pharisees? And can you imagine the looks on their faces as it slowly dawns on them that they are the murderous tenants? And Jesus is the owner's son, the heir, the stone the builders rejected that will become the cornerstone. Isn't Jesus an incredible storyteller? I mean, he really is. I don't think anyone holds a candle to him. And this particular parable is just a masterwork. It's a work of art. It's so dramatic and vivid in detail, just so rich and so pointed in its condemnation of the chief priests and Pharisees that I'm afraid we can miss something very obvious in its reading. You see, the story itself reveals to us that while Jesus was telling this parable, he knew he was going to be executed. He knew he was going to die, and he knew who was conspiring against him to put him on the cross, the chief priests and Pharisees and their ilk. You see, his way of living, of being, his message, his ministry was threatening to their power. So they wanted him dead. And he knew this. And friends, we talked about this before, but given the fact that he knew this was going on, he had a choice. Jesus could have run away. He could have melted into the Passover crowds after the Last Supper and lived out the rest of his life in blissful anonymity. But he didn't. Instead, he went to the cross. Over the centuries, theologians have articulated several primary reasons they believe it was necessary for Jesus to go to the cross, to pay for our sins, to defeat sin and death, to ransom us from evil, to set such an example of grace and love that we would feel compelled to follow him, to live as he lived. But friends, whichever theory you subscribe to, it all boils down it's the same thing, I think. Love. It all comes down to love. Love for you and for me and for the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the whole wide world. You see, Jesus' goal was to be the cornerstone of a new way of living. A way of living rooted in and exemplified by love of God and love of neighbor. Why, friends? Why have we not fully embraced this? Do we not understand it? Do we really not understand that this world was created out of love, for love, that God's greatest desire 
is a world bathed in love, bound by love, directed by love? What would it take for us to finally understand that and embrace it? What would it take for us and and all the people in Europe and Asia and Africa, South America, Central America, around the world to understand this? Would God have to send his innocent son, the heir, into the vineyard to die? Would that do it, do you think? One night, Jesus gathered with his disciples in an upper room. They came together around the table and Jesus took a loaf of unleavened bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. And then he took a cup and he lifted it and said, this is my blood shed for you. He did not ask questions that divide. He did not ask who belonged to what political party or denomination. He did not ask about differences in worship styles or modes of baptism, whether sprinkling or in a pool. He didn't talk about differences in language or custom or culture. He just came to the table and invited all of us to join him and offered himself in love. That's it. Friends, on this World Communion Sunday, the great question before us is whether we get it. Do we understand? Do we really? Do we understand and embrace who Jesus was and what he was about and the kind of life of love that he calls us to? Because if we do get it, if we understand It makes all the difference in the world. Friends, if we understand it, it makes all the difference to the world. Will you pray with me? Holy God, on this World Communion Sunday, we give thanks for your Son, Jesus Christ, and the love you poured out to the world through him. Lord, help us to embrace the truth of his life, death, and resurrection and live as messengers of that love in a world that needs it so badly. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.
Must see. 